If you want to turn in your Bible to uh, Philippians and then also to 1 Thessalonians, Philippians 2 and 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, if you do not have, you're going to want an outline tonight because I think I have 10 different texts that we're going to look to, and that's just become a, become a sort of a blur of words. Uh, if, you, if you would like, we, there are, I believe there's some outlines still in the back if you want to um, send one of the kids to go get one or you help yourself, whatever. But I think it'll, it'll help you to have an outline uh, to follow along so that we're, um, you can see for yourself and read these words. One of the things that we're going to see tonight as we deal with the doctrine of sanctification is that um, it's a multifaceted doctrine, and so I'm not just taking one text and expounding one text tonight like we did with justification, um, because it, I think that we're, we get benefit of us looking uh, sort of at more broadly what Scripture says, and, and so that's what we'll be doing this evening. Um, let's just read two uh, texts that are great encouragements to, to us and remind us what we're about. First from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's a world of truth uh, in those words. We're going to then, and then turn to 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to pick it up at verse 16, chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So all these commands, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word tonight. Our God in heaven, we tonight ask for your blessing that we would have ears to hear and that we would be taught by the Spirit of God the things of God, and that we would have a, a spiritual mind uh, so that we could understand spiritual things. And Lord, not simply intellectual assent, but that you yourself would be sanctifying us by your power, uh, through the gospel, by the Spirit, through the Word, as you promised to do, as you, Lord, call us on to holiness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to uh, ask you tonight to tell me what's your favorite doctrine in all the Bible, in uh, all of systematic theology, uh, what would you answer? I think some of you might say uh, the love of God. Some might say uh, 
the faithfulness of God. Others might think about the doctrine of the atonement, what Christ has accomplished for us. Some would point to the doctrine of justification that we dealt with last week, that God declares sinners like us to be righteous on the basis of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, you might like the doctrine of uh, the glorification of the saints, that one day we're going to put off this body of death and be made new. I don't think anyone would say my favorite doctrine is the doctrine of sanctification. Uh, and I think the reason that, uh, and if I'm wrong in that, you can come and talk to me afterwards. I've never heard anyone say it. And the reason is because sanctification is so often where it gets painful. Uh, sanctification is where we feel our weakness. Um, none of us uh, feels like, I don't think, like we're really knocking this sanctification thing out of the park. Uh, this progress of growing in godliness, growing in holiness, growing in obedience, and not just external obedience, but a, uh, an internal reality where we love to uh, do the right thing and we're more and more uh, hating our sin that, that's, a, that's a slow, painful uh, work. But the, the uh, thing that I hope we see tonight is that the doctrine of sanctification is just as much good news as the doctrine of justification. If you know your shorter catechism, you know that uh, the answer to what is justification begins with justification is an act of God's free grace, and, and the, the answer to what is sanctification begins with uh, sanctification is a work of God's free grace. It's just as free and just as gracious as the doctrine of justification. It's a doctrine full of wonderful assurance, great encouragement. When we hear it, we might think of a standard that's, that's, above, uh, that's over us that we're striving to meet. But actually, what we see is that God himself is doing a work, an amazing work, to transform you and me from the sinners that we were by nature into in unbelievably holy, beautiful creatures in the sight of God. And so tonight, as I said, what we're going to do is we're going to try to look at the doctrine in, in a broad sense, not just dive into a verse or two. If you have your outline, you'll see that we're going to begin just trying to come with a definition. Because I, I think it really will help us to think about the doctrine as a whole. When we talk about a sanctification, we're talking about holiness. Uh, the term sanctification comes from two Latin words stuck together that just means uh, to be made, to make holy. The problem with that definition is it, it doesn't help a lot because the word holy is, well, it doesn't immediately resonate. We, we're not sure exactly what that means, what it looks like. If, if I asked you to define the attributes of beauty, tell me what beauty means. Well, you, it, there would be images in your mind. Uh, there might be people in your mind. Uh, you, you would be able quite quickly to, to at least give me a sense of, of, of that. Or if I asked you, what is... Um, what is uh, intelligence? What is strength? Those words are words that you quickly will associate with some person or something, and then you'll tell me what, is, what strength is or what intelligence is. So, so now do that with the word holy. What images are you going to bring up in your mind? 
Uh, what words are you going to use to define what holiness is? You might think of a, of a church. You might think of priests. You might think of, of, of rituals. You might think of heavenly beings, but how will you describe them? And so that's what we're up against when we, when we talk about sanctification. We're talking about a very specific thing, holiness, but that specific thing often doesn't have texture. It, it, it's, it's not quickly accessible. And so what we end up doing is saying, well, whole sanctification is about obedience, trying to keep the law of God. Um, it's trying to be a better Christian, and hence the discouragement. Hence, uh, it's not generally our favorite doctrine. Well, holiness is about obedience. It, it, it wonderfully is about obedience, and, and sanctification is about um, the, keeping the law of God by the power of God. But you see, if we, if we talk about sanctification simply as obedience, it's true, but we're, we're speaking of it out of its beautiful context. In other words, it's, it's like saying that being married is about uh, taking out the trash. Well, okay, that's... Gladly taking out the trash is something that married, right? You work that out and you serve each other that way. It's, but, but being married isn't about taking out the trash. It's just one part of this beautiful whole. You could say being married is about keeping the house clean. Uh, being married is about working and providing for your family. Well, all those things are true, but the, you need the context. Well, that's what I want to begin with is giving us that context. Because sanctification is, first of all, being about holiness, it's first of all about God himself. And it is about, then, anything that God designates and sets apart for his use. When God does that, that thing is holy, whatever it is. It can be a burning bush, as we see in Exodus. It can be the day, the seventh day. It can be Israel. But what makes a thing holy is God designating it for his use, choosing it for his use. It is about divine calling and divine purpose. And, and so you, you'll see that. Well, in fact, let me just read this here for a little paragraph from Duncan Rankin. At the burning bush, God said to Moses, take the sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Israel is set apart from the Canaanite peoples and, and uniquely identified as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Thus, to be holy is to be separated from the common and profane and designated for God's use. So, ground can be holy, a day can be holy, uh, a nation can be holy, not because they're obedient, they, they were almost never obedient. Israel was a mess when it came to obedience. And yet, God designates them as his holy nation, a kingdom of priests belonging to to God, You see, because he set them apart for his own purpose. Now, I hope already you're starting to sense this could be a really exciting, encouraging doctrine because it's this idea of, of divine calling that is the context and the foundation for the doctrine of sanctification. And so let's move to the second point, the foundation. And I don't know if that's the right word, but one of the things that struck me as I was studying this week is how in Scripture you'll find sanctification to be made holy linked inextricably with the doctrine of election. God's sovereign purpose and plan predestining all things before they come to be. 
you'll find in Scripture, in fact, I have the verses there listed. We can go through them. Romans chapter 8, 29, notice this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. 1 Peter 1, we read it earlier. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. Ephesians 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly, heavenly places, even as he chose us, that's election, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Matthew Henry says, all that are chosen are chosen for sanctification. You see, what, what sanctification uh, means is that before you were born, before you had done anything, good or evil, God chose you, called you to be a part of his divine purposes. He set you apart for his glory, for his use. You were sanctified, set apart for God. Now, the, the reason that's so encouraging to me is because what God sovereignly determines always happens. He has never sovereignly determined something and then, well, it didn't quite work out, ran into unforeseen difficulties. It never happens. God glories in, I declare the end from the beginning. That my words will never fall to the ground. My purposes shall stand. God's calling and election is what? Sure. As sure as God's own being. So when the Bible says that to be a Christian is to be elect to sanctification, elect to be holy, elect to be blameless, well, that can buckle your knees if you care about holiness. That means, friend, that, that it is an absolute guaranteed reality that God's purposes and plans will never fail. God's sovereign, you see, election to sanctification is the foundational divine power and purpose that propels our personal growth in godliness. That's a wonderful foundation. It's a foundation we must never forget, that God has called me sovereignly to holiness. It's not just an invitation. It's a divine commission, command, purpose, and it will be fulfilled. That's wonderful good news. Well, how does God go about this? What's the work look like? Well, what God has determined in the councils of eternity past, he works out in time. And we, we tend to think, again, of sanctification as sort of the part we play in the chain of redemption. Remember, we've been talking about the Ordo Salutis, and we're, we've talked about um, effectual election and effectual calling and regeneration and repentance and faith and justification 
And all these things we've just have, have seen, this is what God, uh, God is doing, and now we come to sanctification, and we so easily think, this is where we step in. Well, yes, but, not first, not foundationally, uh, sanctification is a work of God's free grace. Yeah, and yeah, we have to see that first. It's a work of God's free grace. And that work has both a, um, a past and present aspect to it. So one of the things you'll find in Scripture when you just look up verses on sanctification, you'll see that uh, sometimes it talks about sanctification as a, a definite act, something that has already occurred, and sometimes it talks about an ongoing process throughout our Christian life. Now, I don't want to get in the weeds here, but I think it's helpful just to see what Scripture says. I think it's very encouraging. The Bible talks, first of all, of sanctification as God's work, but a work that he's already done. So Hebrews chapter 10. By that will, the will of God, we have been sanctified, past tense, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I think we just want to recognize that the authors of Scripture, the Holy Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, were not afraid to use the past tense when they talked about sanctification. In fact, they delighted to do so. Now, what truth are they trying to convey? Well, they're trying to convey that to become a Christian means that you have been united to Jesus Christ. And Paul will explain in Romans chapter 6 that by your union with Jesus Christ, something radical has happened to you. You have died to the realm of sin and death, and you have entered into the realm of life. In Jesus' death and resurrection. And so as justification deals with the guilt of sin, it's God's judgment, God's sentence um, from the throne declaring you innocent of guilt. Well, sanctification is God's washing you. Taking you out of the defilement of death and sin. And, and, and in Jesus Christ, by virtue of your union with Jesus Christ, you were sanctified, set apart for God. Well, that's, again, that's, I think it's tremendously encouraging. That you've been, you've been set free by union with Jesus Christ from the, uh, the, the, the pollution and power of sin. Now, it's not completely gone. But the principle has been broken. If any man is in Christ, he is what? He's a new creation. The old is gone, new things are coming. In fact, this link between sanctification and Jesus, our union with Christ, is so significant that Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 1.30, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. Jesus, in some sense, is your sanctification. In him, you've been caught up into God's, uh, God's purposes. You've been washed clean. Now, you, gotta, you just receive that. 
You see, what, what happens to you when you become a Christian? What do you get? You get Jesus. Jesus as your righteousness imputed to you so that on the basis of that imputed righteousness you are declared innocent. Jesus as the, uh, the righteousness that, that, uh, that washes you, the sacrifice, the, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin. You get Jesus as your sanctification. And we need to receive that. There are a lot of Christians who are walking around with deep sense of shame and fear and stain because this truth, you were washed, you were sanctified, hasn't sunk in. But it's what the Bible says. Yeah, but you could say, Pastor, I don't, I don't, I don't feel sanctified. I don't feel washed. There's still so much sin in my life. and I still do awful things that I hate. I said, anger and, and um, impatience and selfishness and pride and lust spew out of, my, out of my heart and out of my mouth. That's the reality of my life. And so you, you can talk about, right, you were sanctified, but that, it's just talk to me. Just come and walk with me in my week and you'll see how sanctified I am. Well, friend, again, this is the beauty of this doctrine as it tells us, not only about a, a truth that is ours in Jesus Christ, and remember as we said this morning, we walk by faith, not by sight. We take, let God be true and every man a liar. But the, the truth of this doctrine is that God knows and God is at work in, your, in our present reality to help us grow today. There, there is a battle going on, and, and so we see the, the present activity of God. First Thessalonians, as we read, now may God, the God of peace himself, sanctify you. If we're going to think about the present work, the process of sanctification, again, we need to realize that that present process is God at work in you. One of the things, if I could just recommend you to do, is read um, Tony Reinke's book on John Newton. It is, um, it's a marvelous um, book about sanctification. It's about Newton and his sort of his theology. But Newton was thinking all the time about how God does this work of sanctification in a believer's life. You'll find it tremendously encouraging. One of the things that Newton points out is that uh, because God is doing the work of sanctification in our life, one of the things we need to realize is that God sometimes allows sin to remain to accomplish his greater sanctifying work. Ever thought of that? Doesn't excuse our sin, but it just says our wise Heavenly Father is actually engaged and involved even when we do sin and is working out a good sanctifying purpose in leaving you to battle. The, 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 the battle that you face with ongoing and present sin is not a sign that God has abandoned you. It might be exactly the opposite, a sign that God is at work within you. Remember that the, the poem, and I won't get it exactly right, but I asked the Lord that I might grow in, in grace and love in every part. Instead of this, he, uh, Newton just goes, I think it's Newton. <clears throat> he made me feel the evils of my heart. And, uh, and, and, and Newton just talks about how he was just assaulted in every way by the, the wickedness and the evil. And he's saying, Lord, wilt thou pursue this man to death? And it's in this way, God says, that I, I answer prayers for faith and, and grace. Well, <clears throat> God's present activity. 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace 
who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That's the foundation. He himself, don't miss it, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Take that to the bank. Take that to your prayer room when you get on your knees and you confess the awful truth of your sin again. And your heart is broken because you failed again. You need to take this verse. God, you have said, you have promised that you being the God who called me, you will yourself restore, confirm, and strengthen, and establish me. And Father, we claim that by grace, by faith. Do your work as you've promised to do. And then take courage and comfort. Oh, friends, aren't they, don't you want to be done with sin? Aren't, aren't, you, aren't you just tired of sin? One of the, one of the benefits of, of getting older, you get tired of everything in general, but <laughs> you, you are so sick of sin in your life. In the lives, you see it, it's devastating effects in the lives of those you love. You, you look at the world and you see the bondage of sin. And there is just within you, uh, Lord, come quickly. As you, as you begin to imagine a world without sin, and you begin to imagine relationships without sin, and you begin to imagine you without sin. Can you imagine what it will be like that first day when, when you lay aside this mortal body and you take on what is immortal? You, you step into the, the, the fresh, clean, righteous air of heaven in the presence of Jesus and you realize there's no sin. There's no sin. I just can't even imagine that. And yet that's exactly what God's about. God, sanctification is God's work transforming you into what he has called you to be, a reflection of the glory of his son. That's exactly what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18. We all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we behold the glory of the Lord. God is doing that work. But he invites us and calls us and commands us to participate. The Holy Spirit has been given to us that we might grow in holiness. That we might more and more say no to the flesh and put to death sinful deeds and desires. We, that, that we uh, might take up this battle and actually by the power of God find that we can grow. God the Father, as he called us to this and is doing this work, Jesus, the Son of God, has redeemed us and freed us to this great work and the Spirit promises to empower us. And so we fight, we have to fight. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, since we have these promises, foundation, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You've already been made holy, set apart by God, Paul says. Now let's go to work and bring that holiness to completion as we more and more are useful to God. 
as we take up this calling that God's given to us. Work out your own salvation, Paul says, Philippians chapter 2, 12, verse 12. Work it out with fear and trembling because, and that fear and trembling isn't, oh no, I think God's going to be mad at me, but it's just this sense of God. This awareness of, of, of the glory, what you've been called to and what God is like. And then the promise that is that God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And, and again, what an encouragement. Do you have within you a hunger for holiness? Do you, when, you, when you find yourself once again face to face with your besetting sin or just the filth of your heart or your hands, or your mind, your mouth, do you, do you sense within you this, this burning desire to be holy? That's God at work. You would never will that. You would never will that if, you, if God had left you to yourself. And so you take that desire and thank God for it and say, Lord, you've worked in me the will to do. Now, now would you also work the power? He will do both to will and to do. And so, Lord, I'm asking for that, the power to say no to self, no to sin, and yes to Christ. But, friends, that's, that's the call. It is, Kevin DeYoung says, it's the consistent witness of the New Testament that growth in godliness requires exertion on the part of the Christian. Romans 8.13 says that by the Spirit we must put to death the deeds of the flesh. 2 Peter 1.5 flat out commands us to make every effort. Your part as a born-again believer is to, quote, toil, struggling with all his energy as Christ powerfully works within you. Colossians 1.29. Christians battle sin. And they don't do it perfectly, and they don't do it as consistently as they should. Uh, but Christians can't help. If the Spirit is in you, you simply cannot make peace with your sin. You won't be able to. And if you are able to, if you've made peace with your besetting sin, well, friend, then that's the time to start saying, Lord, where am I spiritually? Wake me up again. Wake, wake up my heart. I cannot be, I don't want to be at peace with sin. But I want to be filled with this will for holiness, this, this hunger for godliness. Friends, this, this doctrine of, of sanctification, is, it's, a, it's a wonderful encouragement if you hate sin. If you, if you are longing to be set free because it tells us that God has promised to do it and has invited us into the battle, then now how are we going to do that? Let me wrap up with that. What's that going to look like if we, if, we, um, if we obey biblical commands to do things, not just believe things, but the faith right without works is dead. And so, and so to actually do things, what's that going to look like? Well, it's going to look, first of all, like believing deeply the truth of the gospel. You won't get anywhere without the gospel because Paul says in Romans chapter 116, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, which includes sanctification. He says in Acts chapter 20, 32, and now I commend you, to, speaking to the elders of, 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 of Ephesus, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. Why? Because it is able, Paul says, to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of grace is the power 
that enables us to be built up and gain the inheritance among those who are sanctified. We have to believe the gospel and hold to the gospel. John Owen, great Puritan theologian and pastor, says, Holiness is nothing but the implanting, writing, and realizing of the gospel in our souls. It's realizing all that God has promised us in Christ, all that he has uh, purposed for us in in election, all that the Spirit has been given to to help us in. The gospel is not just being forgiven. Praise God. The gospel is about being transformed by the power of God. So a sincere embrace of the gospel of grace, that's where it begins And then an intentional use of the means of grace. God, you see, when we talk about means of grace, people are like, what do you mean? We're talking about the word and preaching and prayer and sacraments as means of grace. What is a means of grace? Friends, a means of grace is exactly this, something that God has promised to use to help you grow and be built up and be sanctified. That's what it is. It's, it, it's something God has promised to use. He's going to, so when Jesus prays in John 17, Father, sanctify them. Do you remember what he says then? Sanctify them by the truth. Thy word, your word, is truth. Father, sanctify them through your word. God promises to change you as you open your Bible. As you read, as you get into a Bible study, maybe a small group, and, and you open your Bible and you study, you, and you let the Spirit apply that. God changes you as you come and you sit and under the preaching of the Word and we open Scripture together and we see the glory of God together. God changes you as you speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God and as you encourage one another in this pilgrim journey, sometimes admonishing and rebuking each other and say, brother or sister, we we can't go that way. God has called us to holiness. Or brother and sister, I'm not here to judge or condemn you, but why are you watching that television show? That's a great conversation to have. Could you just help me with that? Or why are you spending all this time doing this? Or why do you talk like that? Since God has called us to holiness. And I want to be holy, and I want you to be holy. And, and, and we share that passion together, and we do this together. That's what it looks like in real life. And so the Bible's full of those sorts of things, of, of encourage one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. God promises to bless those means of grace to help you grow in sanctification. One final illustration I think that maybe will help you as you're thinking about, well, okay, but I've got this real issue in my life. I've got bitterness. I've got uh, anger. I've got um, a judgmental spirit. I've got the sin of gossip I, or just a critical spirit or whatever it might be. And it's, and, and it's just there. So practically speaking, well, I like um, John Piper's way of talking about acting the miracle. He says when it comes to putting sin to death, killing sin, we don't just passively say, Lord, take it away. Sometimes God will do that. You've heard stories of people who were caught in great sin and they were converted and they prayed and God just removed the desire. You've heard stories like that. I've heard stories like that. And, and maybe you've thought, well, why doesn't he do that for me? Why doesn't he just... Take away the desire. 
Well, God has purposes. And part of the purpose is to train you to fight sin. The, so when it comes to fighting with sin, we don't, just, we don't just pray God take it away. But Piper talks about it's acting a miracle is different from working a miracle. So he says when Jesus says to Lazarus, Lazarus come out, Jesus is working a miracle. But Lazarus has a part to play. By the power of God, Lazarus stands up. And by the power of God, Lazarus comes out. Jesus commands, Jesus empowers, Jesus works the miracle. We, we live in the miracle. We move in the miracle. Well, that's what we're talking about. When it, when it comes to killing sin, Jesus makes the command. Jesus has all the power. The Spirit's been given to us for this. And so Paul says that if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, so sin killing is participating in the miracle that God is doing. Now again, there's great, there's great comfort and confidence in that. If God says to you um, to battle this sin, well, battle it, battle it with the confidence that God has called you to it and God's empowered you for it. And, and if victory isn't immediate, don't despair. God's called you to the battle. Are you engaged in the battle in a meaningful, significant way? Are you confessing your sin? Are you, are you, are you inviting people to, to come and walk with you? But, but live in the miracle about what God is doing. God's word promises that we're going to win. And God's power assures that one day we're going to be free. And so, friend, I would just encourage you to take, in, take this doctrine and, and don't let it remain a theological idea. Let it become a, a part of your life with, with clarity. Think about the incredible purpose that you've been called to by God. God has called you to himself. God has called you to be holy. Not because you're so obedient, but because he set his love on you. And he's determined to use you for his eternal purposes and for his eternal glory. You are sanctified in that glorious sense. And everything flows out of that. In that because of that, God gave you his own son, Jesus Christ, who's washed you clean, who set you free from the pollution and power of sin. And now the spirit poured out to help you take up this battle with confidence, with joy, looking to him in the absolute conviction that he is able, and one day, you're going to be free. We win. We win. The devil never does and never will. May God grant that that day of perfect sanctification comes soon. Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, I pray. Lord, I thank you that you did not simply die to forgive us, but you, Lord Jesus, gave your life to transform us. And I thank you, Lord, that you've called us to such a holy, beautiful thing, to be people who are more and more being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ as we behold his glory. And Lord, you know the tears that we've shed because of our, our sin, our failure, our perversion, our pride. Lord, thank you that you are pleased when your people hunger for holiness. You, it's the fruit of your work and your grace. 
Lord, I, I, I pray that maybe tonight someone needs to have a conversation with you about making peace with sin and that you would give them the grace to do that. Maybe someone needs a conversation with a brother or sister and lay aside a grudge, confess a bitterness, or maybe just ask for help. Father, I, I pray that we would not despair as we fight sin, as we remember that this is the fight you've called us to and this is the fight you equipped us for by your spirit and by your word and this is the fight you promise will one day end in victory. And so may we fight with confidence and joy and be at peace knowing that we are loved, that we are yours, that you, the work that you've begun, you promise to complete and we thank you that it's all in Jesus Christ. He is our justification. He is our sanctification. He's our righteousness and our redemption. We thank you so much for our Lord Jesus. And that in him, Lord, we have this assurance of one day seeing him face to face. We pray that day would come soon. Amen.